Hey everyone, this is Ugochi Onyewu, and you are listening to my very first episode of the Iwo Initiative. I am so excited. Let's make this happen. Hello everyone, welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast, where we celebrate Igbo culture by speaking to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or have a very close tie to the Igbo culture. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we discuss the creative process and the creativity that exists in all of us. I'm talking to a master of creativity, in my book anyway, Ayozie Polendine. Ayozie studied law and realized early on that she did not want to be a lawyer. She has since worked as a backup singer, a blogger, an artist. She's also worked with the English National Opera and more recently has an Etsy shop and a YouTube channel where she teaches people about the journaling process, which we will discuss on today's show. Not only is she a talented, amazing person, she happens to be my sister. Hi, Yo-Yo. Welcome to the show. Obviously, I've known you for a really long time. (laughs) And just for the audience, as much as uh, Yo-Yo is a professional in her own right, she's also my sister. So uh, clearly we have a, (laughs) a great relationship. And obviously, this is my first recording, so I'm super excited. So welcome to the show, Yo-Yo. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be to be on your show. I'm really excited for what you've um, for what you've set up. I think it's going to be inspirational for for many of us. So oh. yeah, I'm really excited to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we'll, we'll kind of jump around a little bit. Obviously, this is slightly different because we have such a close relationship. I'm hoping yes. this will come across as really natural and conversational, even though we sort of want to cover the content that we want to cover. Yeah. So, you know, I've already introduced you and told the audience about who you are and what your platform is. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But obviously, we will weave in some personal stuff as well, right? So, okay. so could you be- begin um, just by describing to the audience um, what you were like as a kid? Because Obviously, this is an audience that's um, interested in celebrating Igbo as a culture, the language, the culture, the lifestyle. And you and I both have Igbo heritage, obviously. Um, So as you describe what you were like as a kid, perhaps talk a little bit about your personality, things growing up, and also how kind of Igbo, being an Igbo child in the culture, weaved into that as well. That would be great. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking, well, yeah, I think... um, from what I can remember, I sort of remember from the age of about four or five. Um, I was very playful as a child. I, I just remember our time, you know, like before we moved to where we were in Lagos and just our time in that house there, just playing outside and um, swimming a lot. I just mm. remember being really playful and mm. also very feisty. Yes. <laughs> yes. I remember <laughs> you can you testify to Absolutely. So very troublesome, you know, always expressed my opinions, always had very strong opinions about things and would argue until I was blue in the face about something. So still do I remember by the my way. nickname. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember my, my nickname was Adebulija. I do you remember um that Jeremy called me that so I'd, I'd come in the kitchen and then do my little dance whilst they were singing that song. <laughs> and tell <laughs> and the audience who Ndajerum was. Ndajerum was a dear, dear man who um, was our nanny and also did the cooking and 
um, basically just looked after us when we were little. Just I have such fond fond memories of Ndajerim. He was very very um, a huge part of us growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so he he nicknamed me Adebuli Jack because he said I was a troublemaker. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I remember about about when I was little. Yeah, <laughs> and the other thing also for the audience, most of you will probably know, but Nda is like a name that we put at the front, like uncle or auntie. It's a sign yes, of respect for right. our elders, right? For our elders. That's so, right. Yeah, Jerome was his name, but obviously we called him Nda Jerome. So, Nda, yeah. yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about how how did you learn to speak Igbo because we didn't really speak Igbo in the house growing up right because mommy obviously yeah. wasn't of Igbo heritage even though daddy was yeah um, so we really spoke English at home so how did yeah. you start learning to speak Igbo how would you say you speak Igbo today are you able to practice it and uh, just talk a little yeah. bit about that okay yeah um so as I mentioned, you know, I'm, we moved from Lagos to Awari probably when I was about five or six. I can't actually remember the year. And prior to that, we just spoke English in the house, partly because mm-hmm. we weren't in an Igbo-speaking um, environment. And also, you know, mummy didn't speak Igbo. So it, as a household, we all spoke English. But, but then when we moved to Awari when I was about five or six, we were suddenly surrounded by Igbo speakers. So at mm-hmm. uh, school in Shellcamp Primary in Awari mm-hmm. and also in the compounds with relatives who were surrounded by people who spoke Igbo. So I actually don't remember um, having a, making a conscious, I don't actually remember learning Igbo. That's a funny thing. Yeah. I just remember suddenly being able to speak it. I don't remember anyone teaching me or anything like that. I think just being surrounded also because I was still very young. I think young children pick up language mm-hmm. quite easily and, and it was spoken all around us. I think mm-hmm. actually out of necessity, mm-hmm. um, I suddenly, I, I, I just feels like it was suddenly, I'm sure it probably wasn't. I suddenly could speak Igbo and I think there's something about the humor of it. Like there's things that can only be expressed in Igbo mm. I don't know. I think it's just necessity of just wanting to be a part of things and wanting to be part of the the games mm-hmm. that, that we yeah. played as kids or yeah. chatting to friends. Yeah. So I think just being around other kids and relatives and, you know, uh, I, I, I just suddenly could speak it. It felt mm-hmm. like it was sudden. Yeah. And I think now, um, sorry, yeah, so now I... Uh, I don't really speak Igbo very much. Weirdly, we don't really speak Igbo to each other, mm-hmm. except, except we we don't want our kids to <laughs> understand. <laughs> we don't want the kids to understand what we're saying. Like we'll probably say it in Igbo, like over the phone or something. But um, so yeah, I don't actually speak Igbo that much. There's there's a friend I speak. My friend Anyeka, I speak Igbo to. If it weren't for her, I probably would forget. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe if I'm speaking to an auntie like Auntie Grace mm-hmm. um, on the phone, then Igbo comes back in. So, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not as uh, as common as it used to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. when we were younger, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it speaks to the point about your environment, right? Because when you're yes. in an environment where everyone's speaking the language, you're forced to speak it, and it it almost becomes instinctive. You don't think about it, you yeah. just speak. But now you, you're you in an environment, you're in the UK and I'm in the US, you're in an environment where everybody speaks English. So it has to be that conscious effort to 
to maintain yes. the language, right? Because I, I find exactly. myself as well, I'm not as fluent as I used to be. And I have to force myself yeah. to find people that I can speak Igbo to. Yeah. I don't know. How do yeah. you feel about yeah. the fact that you don't speak it as regularly? Is it just one of those sort of, yeah. oh, well, but, you know. Mm-hmm. No, I feel sad about it. It's really funny. Um, recently, we were in the car. We were traveling. I don't know, we were going on a, on a journey in the car. And my, my youngest daughter, Kezia, was like, oh, mom. She said, I really wish you'd taught us Igbo because mm. she's, she's become, she's the age now where she, she's aware that she's missing out on a huge part of her, her identity, actually, mm-hmm. and a huge part of, of knowing me as her mum. Because mm-hmm. she, she, she can see that I, I think maybe when she observes me speaking Igbo, like to my friend, or maybe if I'm telling a story and I'll say, oh, we say this in Igbo and I'll translate, they just find this so funny you know mm. and she suddenly become aware that there's a huge part of her identity that she is missing out mm-hmm. missing out on and, mm-hmm. and I think she so now she says she wants to learn Igbo but she's 14 so you know I know it's going to be a lot more of a challenge for her to learn and and just understanding my humor as well you know like there's things we say in Igbo or even just the perspective that's Igbo mm-hmm. there's a humor that that comes yes. to that that you can't really translate easily into English <laughs> yes. and I think my kids are, are becoming more aware of that and they feel like they're missing out on that so yeah, yeah absolutely like one phrase that comes to mind is like when I'm really frustrated <laughs> and I'm telling you I'll say something like Arana Chibam you know and then we'll laugh yes, exactly, but how do you exactly. express that in English you know it means <laughs> exactly. literally it means yeah. I'm about to go mad which which you can kind yeah. of say in English but it doesn't have the humor it's not the same yeah, it's not the exactly. same it's not the exactly. same but this is so this so, is so interesting it's one of the reasons why um, I decided to start this show because I think there's so many of us mm. myself included our, our children don't speak the language because for yeah. whatever reason either our spouses are don't speak Igbo or you know we're not in an yeah. environment and it, it's just becomes harder and it's easy it's just much easier to just settle into English and now that our children yeah. are growing older, they're sort of expressing that interest. And I think that exactly. perhaps there's ways we can start to introduce it to where they don't have to be fluent. They don't have to be conversational, but at least develop that interest in learning yeah. and start to sort of learn yeah. some of the words. I think mm. I think is a, is a great thing because you mentioned she's 14. Yeah. So it's harder. Yeah. I know when we were kids, we wouldn't care so much if people would laugh at us and they'd laugh at us all the time um, when we'd make <laughs> mistakes with the grammar and stuff. But we didn't yes, care. Exactly, we just forced exactly. ourselves. But of course, that, that so, doesn't exist anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, the storytelling is something I've become acutely aware of. You know, like the stories we used to have about Mbe, the greedy tortoise, and <laughs> and like somebody, uh, Daniela, my older daughter, was asking me about Igbo proverbs, and I was so frustrated because I couldn't call any proverbs mm. to mind. There all these... Um, Things that are so rich, you know, like mm. we just took for granted all the stories and the songs that come with the stories or the proverbs, you know, somebody just throwing a proverb mm-hmm. in a in a conversation mm-hmm. and we'll all like, you know, and I just have become acutely aware that my girls are missing out on that. And yeah. I do have some regrets about not introducing that to them sooner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, I I know there's always going to be that regret. We can't go back and change that. But I think going forward, maybe there's things we can do, myself included, right? Because I'm, you know, I I heard somewhere that and I I don't I can't back this up with statistics, but I I did hear that um, Igbo is an endangered language. Actually, on the um, there is a website that says it. So I keep sort of saying, and my kids are like, yeah, we know Igbo is an endangered language. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how... 
severe of an issue that is, but I do know that it's mm. it's up to us, right, to start to introduce exactly. that passion and interest in the culture and the language as well. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's true. And and, and there was even like Igbo t- tongue twisters. <laughs> Remember? Exactly. And I, yeah, yes. I'm gonna butcher it like one, you know, kwa kwa, you know, kwa no, kwa kwa kwa. Yes. You know, I don't remember how to <laughs> I say it. Back to Kezia recently. Yeah, yeah it's quite ages. Yeah, the yeah. correct pronunciation. And yeah, 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 so just stuff like that. She really, really loves, and is so keen to to learn all that stuff. So it is exciting, actually. Yeah, that, it is. Um, it is. So we yeah, can pass we can, these things on. Yeah, tomorrow we begin again, right? So we can always going forward exactly. make a difference. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I do want to cover though because your story is so interesting, and I know this is um, obviously we're celebrating Igbo culture and talking to women of, of, yeah. of Igbo descent, but. What's so exciting and interesting to me is that the you know the women that I speak to are just so varied in what they do and the and, you know what what mm. their you know their professions and their journeys right and that's part of what makes this so exciting and I wanted to yeah. speak to you because you've always been an inspiration to me and 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 you've just been oh. um you've done so much right so what, you know, so I'd like you to sort of take us through a journey. And just just for the audience, um, my sister is mm. a domestic goddess in my book, right? She she bakes, she cooks, <laughs> she sings, she performs, <laughs> um, she does journaling, um, she has an Etsy shop. Oh. You know, there there's just so many different things that you kind. do all the time. I mean, it's true. I mean, you 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 sew, you make handbags, you crochet, you knit. Yeah. I mean, it's endless, <laughs> right? It's endless. And and I always laugh and I say, well, when I look at all the stuff you do, it makes me tired I want to lie down right because I'm not domestic at all so I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about your journey so you're a a six-year-old girl in Oweri and then you grow up and um, somehow you move to the UK can you just talk us through your journey which will take a little bit of time I'll just let you speak your journey from moving to the UK to where you are now right so how did you end up as you are right so so go ahead okay yeah so I moved um you know, you know, we were at school in Awari, we were at federal school in Awari. And then when I was 15, um, I moved to England and you were already here, actually. Mm. Um, and I do remember uh, that being a real shock to my system, like a culture shock. Um, just even though I was really excited for everything um, that moving to England represented, I really, really missed home. So, mm. yeah, so we moved here and then went to school here. Um, for a year, I went to school, uh, school in Kent and then moved to uh, to a school in London. Uh, I remember just having to play catch up with my GCSEs because obviously the school systems are different. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to go back a year and do my GCSEs and then my A-levels. And then I, um, I always, I remember a point when when I was coming to the end of my A-levels, which is like upper six and lower six, I think mm-hmm. is equivalent in Nigeria, lower mm-hmm. six, upper six. Mm-hmm. Um, and about to um, gain entry to university and really questioning then what my life path was going to be. So when I, when we moved to England, it was quite, it was quite a turbulent time. There was a lot of change, I suppose. And, and I remember that the thing that gave me the most peace at that time was doing art. Mm-hmm. So at my first school, I just remember the art room just being like a, a real magical place and a place where I had a lot of peace. And then even when I had to change schools, I, again, I remember this art room being a place where I felt most safe and most secure, a place where everything just made sense. It mm-hmm. was a real, and doing art at home as well. So 
I really, really wanted to carry on doing art, but I had this thing where I had always said from a young age that I was going to be a lawyer, that I was going to go on and study law. So I had to make a decision for my A-levels, whether I do art as an A-level or choose three academic subjects, which obviously would lead me to doing a law degree. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking lots of advice, but I think, you know, we grow up with what our parents think is going to be the best Mm -hmm. choice for us, you know, because they they obviously they want the best for us. Mm -hmm. They want a career choice that would to them would seem more um, stable and more, uh, you know, that just seems better to them. Mm -hmm. So I remember um, obviously feeling that law was the way to go so I did go on to so I had to let go of art at that point which uh, which I found quite difficult and so I went on to study a law degree and then in the first year of at the end of the first year I mean you know this obviously daddy passed away mm-hmm. at the end of our at the end of my first year at uni studying law mm-hmm. and I remember obviously with the big shock that that was it was devastating mm-hmm. you know um, just suddenly my whole world, um, you know, it's upside down as a 20, 21 year old girl, woman, mm-hmm. um, my whole world was upside down. I suddenly was like, what am I doing? Like the whole reason I was doing law hugely was because I wanted daddy's approval and I wanted him to be proud and, you know, and then all of a sudden that that reason was didn't make sense anymore. So mm-hmm. I remember going, do I carry on with this or do I, do I quit now? But I did carry on because I actually did enjoy studying law. So, you know, life went, actually I was already married at this point. I was mm-hmm. married didn't, I forgot, <laughs> it was a huge part of my story. I don't know why I missed that out. <laughs> we could go back. We could absolutely but, go yeah, back. we can go back. So rewind, rewind. <laughs> I got married super young, actually. Mm-hmm. I got married when I was 20. So, mm-hmm. Just as I was starting university, I I had met Dan prior to that when I was 18. Mm. We met at church and I was singing a lot. That's the other thing I I forgot to mention is, um, I suppose I'm talking about my journey as a creative. So all through school, I always sang. You remember this. Mm -hmm. We used to do duets together. I think, yeah, we did do duets together. Yeah, we did. So I I was all through school in Nigeria. I used to sing and then... um, when I was in England, I had joined a church by, this, by that time when I was 18. And I remember being in the singing group mm-hmm. and that's where I met Dan. We met, we met together because we were singing in the, the singing in the worship group at church. Mm-hmm. And so um, got engaged and then got married super young. So, and then daddy died mm-hmm. a year after we got married. Mm-hmm. And then, so, so yeah. Um, yeah. I just remember really having lots of questions about what I was going to do, but I did finish the law degree because I, I did enjoy doing it and I think there was a huge part of me that did want to do law but then when I finished um, my degree I suddenly just had this moment of I don't know what to do now I don't know the life that I thought I wanted doesn't make doesn't really make sense anymore and so I worked in a cafe for a year just not really sure what why what I was doing and then but that desire to be creative even though I couldn't um, I couldn't pinpoint it as any one thing was had always been there, mm-hmm. you know, was and it was still there. So um, I remember going on to do a course at the School of Creative Ministries, mm-hmm. which was um, combined singing, acting and movement. So I did that for a year and then um, <clears throat> I went on to uh, continue my studies with the English National Opera. I did a year's course with them then um, that was focusing on singing specifically. So fast forward um, 
many years ahead. I can't remember what year I'm, I'm at now. I had um, made a change really from what I thought I was going to end up being a lawyer. I was now um, pursuing a career as a singer for mm-hmm. a while. And I I remember auditioning a lot during that season. And then I started working as a vocal coach for different opera companies through the course I'd done at the English National Opera. And I worked for a few years as a vocal coach um, for the Royal Opera House mm-hmm. in London for their education department. So I was doing a lot of work for children, doing a little bit of performing, but but predominantly um, leading workshops with children, introducing them to singing, really. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I had had, sorry, do you, should I carry on? Do you, yeah, yeah, carry yeah, on carry the, on, carry yeah. on. But, but you know <laughs> so, what I did want to, if, if I may just chime in, what I did want to yes, highlight yes. was just how how brave, you know, you are. Because coming from an Igbo family, right, as you, to your point, right, our parents want the best for yeah. us. And they always said to us, yeah. would, and people from Igbo land and even Nigeria can relate to this, right? You're either going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer yes, or an accountant, exactly. right? Or yeah. an architect or something <laughs> exactly. other, you know, studying English or art. What's that? That's not going to get you a job, yes. right? And obviously it came from a place yeah. of wanting the best for your children, so I remember yeah, thinking yeah. just how brave you were when you decided you didn't want to be a lawyer, having gone, you know, studied law and, and, and got a law degree, yeah. right? So, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to chime in with that. Carry on. Please oh, do. thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, was, I had, and also, um, obviously, I, I have two girls. So in between my studies, um, I, I also, my, my singing studies, I had children. So I think Daniela was born... Um, before actually I did the course at the English National Opera. So mm-hmm. I was juggling having a young baby and studying singing. And then Kezia was born after I did the course at the English National Opera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just remember that time being just a real uh, muddle of juggling, you know, having young children and uh, studying and then working and singing. Um, and then I did, I carried on training really um, I think we'll talk about this uh, maybe further on in our conversation mm-hmm. about the importance of discipline and training. Yeah. But I carried on training even because um, I decided that working as a vocal coach was something that um, I felt quite passionate about, just mm-hmm. just for children to find freedom. Um, it, there's a lot of freedom to be found in singing and creativity as mm-hmm. a whole, actually. Mm-hmm. And so I did go on to do a pro- my postgraduate studies at the Royal College of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for a year. And that was looking at um, uh, te- uh, teaching singing in, a, in an education context. So, and I remember juggling young children with that. But anyway, um, after a few years of working as a vocal coach, I became ill, as you know. Mm-hmm. I um, was diagnosed with a chronic kidney disease and went through a couple of years, really, initially of not being very well mm-hmm. and not having very much energy. So that really... Um, again, with something like that, with a, light, a big life change like that, it does bring things into focus. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny how things change really just out of necessity. So I um, had become ill, so I couldn't carry on being a vocal coach because it just required a lot of energy that, quite honestly, I just really didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so my life now, I think, has been a journey from 2009 till now of just trying to navigate my way through 
um, what I, I can and can't do. Obviously, I'm much better now. I, my energy levels are really good now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have to be careful. And mm-hmm. I'm just navigating my way through that. And I think that's my journey with creativity till now has really um, was influenced by that time of illness mm-hmm. from 2009 onwards. Yeah, mm-hmm. so my creative life now looks is much quieter. Um yeah, so I don't know if there's anything you want to ask me. <laughs> yeah. Like so, yeah, so this is a perfect segue, right, to, to where you are now, yeah. having the illness and having to take time off and really sort of reevaluating what was important. I think what's important yes. to note is that you're still sort of harnessing the creativity within, but maybe in a different yeah. way. So not so much singing, even though That's you do right. do some singing now. So, I, so I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. But maybe you can sort of talk about the creative process, right? Because right now you're, you're sort of yeah. doing more of journaling and, and other things like that. But yes. if you can just talk yeah. about the creative process and how there is creativity in every single one of us, myself included, yeah. Yeah. Who, who I just look at you and I'm like, I can't sing, you know, I can't act, ah, I can't there, perform. You are super creative. Yeah. Right. But, but exactly to that point, right? There's creativity in all yeah. of us. And how do you harness that? And to your point about discipline and rigor, how do you keep going yeah. when you don't feel like it? I think that's uh, a good Exactly. Place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I really am a firm believer that we're all born with an innate creative ability. I think um, you you just look at children, really, and they are the perfect models of creativity. You know, their imaginations are active. They they get caught up in storytelling. They love to play with anything, really. You give a child a cardboard box and they'll find a creative use for that, you know, or they love to paint or draw pictures or just even in their expression is is all it's all um creative so i think we're all born with that and even if you know like for us as christians i believe that we're made in the image of god who Mm -hmm. is the ultimate creator and even but even if you're looking at it in a non-religious context i think we're all born um i think with an innate creative ability and i think as we get older we either think that it's not for us or we get talked out of it or but actually, as I get older, I realize that creative expression is more than um, the things that we would consider more obviously creative, you know, like singing or, or acting or, or drawing or painting. I think it's actually to do with our perspective, it's to do with knowing ourselves and having permission to express that. So I think creativity can be expressed in so many ways, in the way you make decisions at work, mm-hmm. you're at your the perspective you have to problem solving, you know, mm-hmm. like even if you're working in a supposedly non-creative context, mm-hmm. I think if you harness your creative capacity, you can bring that to any job that you do with the way that you view a problem and the, the different angles that you look at a problem and how to solve it in allowing yourself to have loads of ideas Um it could even be in the way that you express yourself through fashion. You're the ultimate fashion, my fashion icon, you know, you're hugely creative in the way you express yourself. You know, so it's, it's really, it's, um, I think at its heart, you know, whatever it is, whether it's your line of work or whether it's being uh, an artist, you know, with um, painting or making things or being a singer, I think it's really to do with permission to be yourself, mm-hmm. to be fully yourself um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in who you are and accepting who you are mm-hmm. and giving yourself permission to express that. I mean, you know, this is like a lifelong, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a lifelong process because there are so many things that, um, that kind of inhibit that, you mm-hmm. know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many things that inhibit that. So um, uh, it's just that, yeah. So it's it's about allowing space to do that. So for me personally, over the years, like more recently, p- partly because I, I've had to slow down, um, a huge part of harnessing my creative uh, expression and and finding permission is really just getting to know myself, like giving myself time daily to write in a journal. Mm-hmm. And at first it was just like, oh, it's when I feel like it or when I, but actually now I, I make time to do a creative activity every day. Mm. And I was reading a book, I think it's um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks, it's like a book anyway, all about creativity. And mm-hmm. she talks about the difference in creative attitudes between a professional and an amateur. And mm-hmm. an amateur. So she says an amateur will say, oh, I'm creative, but I'll only create when I feel inspiration, when inspiration strikes. But a professional will be like, no, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show up to my work daily and inspiration will come. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That's so interesting. Yeah. Over the years, yeah. So over the years, I've had to really change my perspective about that and go, okay, no, I'm going to honor what I, this is what I do. And because I do consider myself an artist and a lot of my work is artistic and I'm going to make time every day and I'm going to show up to my work. So mm. it could be that I start my day by writing in my journal and I used to go, oh, I'm only going to do that when I have time. But actually, um, forgive me, my voice is croaky. I have a cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm actually just going to show up and write and really mm. um, excavate, you know, what's going on in myself. You know, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. It like, does. It makes really perfect honoring sense. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really honoring that. And, and actually, when we explore the way we view the world in whatever we do, um, you, you have to know yourself to know why you're reacting to something a certain way. Like I have a mentor that I see regularly and she always challenges me. She, you know, if I talk to her about any given situation, she'll go, so wh- where do you think you were coming from when you reacted that way? Mm. And then you go, oh, okay, it's because of X, Y, Z. Do you know mm. what I mean? So yeah. It's like I'm talking like in, in wider terms now, but mm. I think it's really important to know yourself and to give yourself permission to express that. Yes. I suppose that's what I'm saying, yeah. Interesting. That's amazing. So talk a little bit more about journaling, right? So how does one start? What's the best way to do it? Um, Because I think in in some way, right, we we may have a diary that we sort of write in occasionally, or we may, does it have to be a formal process? And and how how would we go about that? Mm -hmm. I think you have to stay true to really who you are, Mm -hmm. like who your personality is. You don't have to I find it helpful um, as journaling every day because that's just what I have decided to do. Like for me, it's a discipline. It's a discipline that I do. So I, I will do a bit of art in my journal, and then I'll and then I'll write. So I'm I'm training myself. I'm I'm honing my skill artistically, but I'm also using that as a means of self-expression. But it mm. really is whatever works for you. You know, mm. you you'll know. Well, also, we all have different time. Um, What's the word? We all have different demands on our time. So, mm. But I would really encourage everyone to journal in some way. It could be that you visit your journal once a week or once a month or whatever it is, mm. you know, every day. Some people find it helpful to keep a prayer journal. Some people find it helpful to um, write down all your emotions. But I think the, the important thing is that your journal is a safe place. Mm-hmm. And so it's a safe space where no one else looks in Mm -hmm. it's a place just between you 
and you or mm-hmm. you and God or you and mm-hmm. your feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a place that's free from judgment. It's a place that's free from observation. It's a place that's free from opinions. It's just a place where you have complete per- permission to express yourself. So mm-hmm. for me, that looks like making art in my journal. For me, that looks like um, examining what's going on in my feelings or what's going on in my motives or sometimes I'm literally just writing down what I made for dinner the night before do you mm, know what I mean or yeah, something yeah. funny that came up in a day that my kids might have said and then then it becomes like a thing that you can look back on mm-hmm. a bit like a photo album that will trigger your memories from a certain time right. so um yeah and it's a place where and out of that actually has become um a lifestyle so actually it's funny how something that just uh, what became a practice has become something that I do now. So I make journals. I actually physically will make the books and mm. um, sell them in my shop mm-hmm. or give them as gifts because I um it's become something that I'm hugely passionate about. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the act of journaling, just about finding that space where, because you know we live in a world that's so image driven and mm. so. Um, it's frenetic and everything mm. moves really, really fast and mm-hmm. it can feel, you can feel overwhelmed. And yes. it's just by carving out a little bit of time, it could be even five minutes where you go, okay, this is a space where I can breathe mm. and I can get in touch with myself and mm. what I'm feeling. And this is a place that's free of judgment. No one, you know, hopefully you don't live in a house where anybody's going to read your diary. <laughs> you know, you just, um, <laughs> the place is free from, mm-hmm. yeah, just free from observation and judgment. Mm. So. Yeah, that's great. And I think, yeah, so and and once you start to discover that, once you start to feel what it it feels like to be in a a place of non-judgment, I think that can feed, that feeds out into your life as a whole. You Mm -hmm. start to become... You start to, I think I have found that I start to become braver about mm. expressing what I think to other people because I, I, you start to operate really from a foundation of non judgment, a mm. foundation of, of um, acceptance, mm. I suppose. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know if that makes sense. It does. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, yeah. It really makes a lot of sense. I think that's, yeah. to your point, just getting to know who you are, right? Just really helps yeah. as you deal yeah. with the world. Yeah. I have that challenge every day, right? So that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking, you, you mentioned, mentioned Elizabeth Gilbert I don't remember the title of the book but I did want to ask you yeah. if you had one or two books that you would recommend to people that you think are your yeah. favorites so yeah if you could give us the name and the title again that would be yeah great. so let me see if I can find it one book that has been huge for me just as a creative and um it actually takes you three steps of discovering your creative self it's called the artist's way Oh, yes. By Julia Cameron. Have you heard of that? I yeah? have heard of and it. It's yeah. kind of like, yeah. So um, it's a book that I, I haven't actually uh, followed chronologically, but I just dip in and out. So some people find it helpful to do it step by step. But I've just never, I don't know, I've just never been able to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way, has been a really, I've had that book for many years and I go back to it frequently. Um, another book is called Big Magic. Yeah, I mentioned that by Elizabeth Gilbert I'm Mm -hmm. still I'm just getting to the end of it and that's been um yeah it's been amazing it Mm. it really uh just delves into the creative process and just the things that we the barriers that we create to our own creativity um and just challenging some of those things Mm. it's been really really good for me I hugely recommend that another book I would recommend is called The Gifts of Imperfection 
by Brené Brown. Oh yeah, I love Brené um, Brown. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> as a as a huge perfectionist myself, it, that can it, there's nothing going to cause you more paralysis than perfectionism mm. and just the fear of making mistakes, yeah. the fear of saying the wrong thing, the fear of of making big decisions because it could all you know all of that all of that huge life stuff you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been hugely affected by being perfectionist and, and also um, my daughters as well. So it's been a really, really good book for me to read and just find different ways around that, different ways of giving ourselves permission, of treating ourselves with more compassion. Um, that's been a really, really good book for that. Mm. So yeah, those are my those are my go-to books at the moment. I probably had more in the past, but okay. those are the ones that have been huge for me at the moment. Yeah, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm going to make a note of those and and, uh, yeah. and buy those. Yeah, definitely. So as we sort of come to the end of the interview, I kind of want to come back to, um, you know, being Igbo, not just being Igbo, right? Because ho- hopefully this yeah. will apply to anyone. But if you had a message to your 18-year-old self, right? Or say there's another person who's 18 or up and coming, whatever age that is, and it's like, oh, my parents think I should become a doctor or an engineer, but I really have a passion for singing or I really have a passion to become an actor or whatever, or writer or poet, whatever it may be. What would you say to them? What what are some of the things you wish you had known or you wish that someone had said to you when you were that age? Yeah, it's funny you should ask that because actually my oldest daughter is just turning 18 and we're actually um, going through that process with her. You know, she's wanting, she's doing her A-levels now, she's applying to university. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she wants to be an actor. She wants to, she's grown up around because both Dan and I, over the years, my husband and I have been involved in acting. And so from a young age, she used to watch us, mm-hmm. you know, put these shows on. And she, she was in her first show when she was two years old and she's grown up around that. So that's what she's decided to do. And obviously the Igbo <laughs> is so funny because even myself as a creative, when she said that, I was like, oh goodness, that, you know, do you actually, do you actually know what you're saying? You know, so we actually joke about it in our house. They, they joke about, I try to be all, you know, you know, you just got to follow your dreams. But then there's a, there's the Igbo parent <laughs> side of me that I'm always, <laughs> that I'm always, you know, coming up against, which, which is also good. So yeah. I think my advice would be, Really take time to identify what you love. Mm. I think when you know what you love, and it could be science, mm-hmm. it could be engineering, it could be medicine, it could be, you know, computing. You know, your brain is incredible. I just, I'm blown away by <laughs> the way your brain works. You know, you just have to know what you love mm. and go for it, you know, because mm. that's the thing that's going to sustain you throughout your life is the love of a thing. Mm-hmm. And of yeah. course, we fall out of love with things and but if you if you know what's at your heart, you know, what's the thing that feeds you, what's the thing that, that you're most passionate about, regardless of whether you think your parents are going to approve or or whether um, it's, a conve- it's a non-conventional thing, I think you just have to know what you love and then decide how you're going to go about it. So mm. for my daughter... She wants to be an actor. But the, the good thing about it is not an airy-fairy thing. She mm. knows, and we've talked about it, she knows what that means. She knows what that's going to mean for her life. Mm. She knows that it might, might mean that her career path might be a little bit more precarious, not as stable. Mm. She also knows that it's tremendously hard work. So mm. with everything, 
that we do. I think there sometimes is a perception, and we get this from social media, where you go, oh, I'm going to do this because it looks great and it looks like fun. But mm. most things are tremendously hard work. Mm. So if you want to, even if you want a career in the creative arts, you want to be a singer, I would say um, pursue that with the same rigor that you would if you were doing um, a degree in medicine. Mm. Because you have to, you can never underestimate the power of being trained, mm. the power of of um, discipline. It's something mm. that I so wish I'd learnt, I'd, I'd got a hold of earlier. Mm. The rigor it takes to be a professional artist is mm. huge. You know, right. you have to practice every day. Mm. You have to be willing to approach galleries. You mm. have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to turn up in your studio at 9 a.m. when you don't feel like it and when you don't feel inspired. Mm. You have to be willing to do that. And I think in e every walk of life, we, do you know what I mean? The yeah, same yeah, yeah. rigor applies. Mm -hmm. so, so it's not, I actually wouldn't say that, oh, you know, it, my when I was younger, I'd go, oh yeah, yeah, every fairy. This is what I want to do. But now, knowing what I know, mm. I would say definitely follow your heart and definitely know what you love because that will sustain you. But be willing to work. Goodness, you've got to be willing to work mm. super hard. Yeah. You've got to be willing to be committed to your craft. Mm. So, you know, it might be that you're, you know, like a young person is already. Um, uh, studying one thing and then they, they may not want to do that you know so like with me I think there's tremendous um, esteem actually that comes from having completed something mm. so I'm actually really glad that I didn't drop out in my first year of studying law I'm glad mm. that I I completed my studies because mm. there's esteem in going I know I can do it I know yeah. I can stick to something I can stick to studies you know there's an esteem that comes with that and also it's a great skill to take to whatever mm. um, walk of life, to have that legal mind, to have that way of looking at things, to be able to, it's something that serves me well even now, even though I'm not working at all in, mm. a, in, in, a, in a law environment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, just know what you love, mm. know what, what feeds you, know what you're passionate about and be willing to work really hard, be willing to be disciplined with it, always be willing to train and to, to be the best that you can be, whatever it is. Mm. Yeah. So, that's amazing. This has yeah. been brilliant, That'd Yo-Yo. Be this has been absolutely brilliant. So oh, before you go, you. can you please just tell people how to reach you, what your platform is? I know you're on YouTube and you have an Etsy shop as well. So if you could just let people know. Yeah, so my Etsy shop address is, um, let me think about it. Yeah, it's www.etsy, that's E-T-S-Y dot com forward slash shop. <laughs> forward slash Ayozie. Mm -hmm. That's A Y O Z I E. So that's my Etsy shop. And then my YouTube channel is um, uh, Ayozie. If you just search Ayozie Designs, mm -hmm. so that's A Y O Z I E Designs, D E S I G N S. Ayozie Designs is my channel name. So I think it'll be youtube.com forward slash Ayozie Designs. Um, yeah, and then both of those things will have links to my other. Um, I also have a blog actually mm -hmm. where I, I write from time to time, and that's called um, ayozie.blogspot.co.uk. Blogspot.co.uk. And I have links to all my things actually from my blog. So there's several ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I write a lot about the pr creative process on my blog. 
if anyone's interested in that. I'm sure they are. But, yeah. I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> this has been oh, great. It's been, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah, you're amazing. No, truly, you're a huge um, inspiration to me. So oh. this has been um, such fun and I'm so excited to to be interviewed by you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for doing you. that. Thank yeah. you so much, Yo-Yo. We'll talk soon, okay? And to everyone listening, we all have links to Ayozie's websites in addition to the books she recommended on our website at www.theigbo.com. You can also access the links to the other episodes and subscribe to this podcast to receive downloads of the latest episodes. Please check out the website and provide feedback. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.